What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Today we find out, voter suppression notwithstanding, whether America is going to continue down the autocratic road. And by the way, David Leonhardt has a brilliant piece in the New York Times about how this happened in Hungary. Whether we continue down the autocratic road that not only Donald Trump, but in fact, largely, this precedes Donald Trump. Mitch McConnell's been doing this for a long, long time. Whether we travel down this road toward plutocracy, autocracy, oligarchy, kind of a combination of the three, that combination of the three back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, we called fascism. Whether we continue down that road or whether we slow it or whether we reverse it. And it's going to depend on whether you get out to the polls or whether you get your friends out to the polls, whether we all vote. If you haven't voted, stop listening to this program right now and go out and vote. Or put your earbuds in. Continue to listen to this program and go out and vote. But get out there and vote. And if you have voted, try to get five friends to the polls. Offer people rides, call them up, offer them encouragement, nurture them, help them. If you had any problems at the polls, the number is 866-OUR-VOTE, O-U-R-V-O-T-E, 866. It's toll free from anywhere in the United States. And you call that only if you have a problem. That's the problem line, right? If you go in and your voting machine flips. For some reason, we got reports from four states now that the voting machine, this is from early voting. I don't know. I'm assuming it's still continuing that the voting machines are flipping votes. It's not happening a lot, apparently, but is happening. And weirdly, every single report that I've seen, I don't maybe you've seen others. I mean, I don't I don't so much read right wing media anymore these days. And so. Uh, maybe the flip side is being reported on there, but but it seems that it's always flipping Democratic votes into Republican votes. You vote for Beto O'Rourke and it says, thank you for voting for Ted Cruz kind of thing, you know. And Texas is one of the states where we're getting these reports about electronic voting machines flipping votes. This has been going on since 2002 when the Help America Vote Act, you know, gave billions of dollars to the states to buy voting machines from Republican aligned companies like ES&S and Diebold. And it always seems to work to the benefit of the Republicans. If Republicans win, I mean, you know, first of all, it's going to depend on turnout, obviously. But also, if they win, it's going to mean that their voter suppression efforts have been successful. This is a big deal. Greg Pallast is writing about this over at Truthout. 
And in Greg's piece at Truth Out today, he writes, this is specifically about Georgia. He says, purged voters' provisional ballots could decide the Georgia governor's race. Keep in mind, the last Georgia governor's race was won by about a little less than 200,000 votes. And Brian Kemp has purged about a half million people from the voting rolls in Georgia. But Greg Pallast's lawsuit and research found that 340,134 of them actually still live in Georgia. He tells the story, for example, of a guy by the name of Rahim Shabazz. And Rahim Shabazz said, I wanted to vote for Stacey Abrams, but I won't be able to vote in the November 6th election. Why? Because Brian Kemp had canceled his voter registration. The reason Kemp did it, he said, was because Shabazz had not voted in the previous two elections. And Shabazz says, hey, wait a minute. You have a constitutional right to vote, and you have a constitutional right not to vote, right? He says he didn't like the choices that were offered in the last two elections. Uh, he also says that the government has no trouble finding him to pay parking tickets or pay his taxes. You know, why won't they let him vote? He discovered this by going on Greg Powell's site and plugging his name into the database, the, the Georgia Purge database, and boom, there he was. He had been purged by Brian Kemp. And so he contacted the Secretary of State's office and said, hey, wait a minute, you purged me, I want to vote. And they said, sorry, it's too late. Voter registration is closed. You have to wait two more years. And this is going to be the case for 340,000 Georgia voters. Now, if they show up to the polls, and probably many of them will, because they don't know that they've been purged. There's been no notice sent out to any of these people. When they show up at the polls, they'll be given a provisional ballot, which will not be counted on election night. And if it is counted at all, the person who decides whether provisional ballots get counted is, drum roll, Brian Kemp the guy running for governor against Stacey Abrams, the guy who's also the Secretary of State, who's running the election in which he is a candidate. So keep your eyes out. I don't know if you've seen this little video clip. I can't play the video of it, but I can play the audio. Uh, it, it's, I just saw it on John Aravotsis, who I follow. It's a Triumph the Insult Dog. He's a puppet, a hand puppet. And Ted Cruz decides, oh, it'll be cool to talk to this guy. And so here's the conversation. This is hysterical. And just remember, it wasn't the Republicans. It was the Democrats that took you into the vet to get fixed. <laughs> and, and there is freedom on the other I side. I support, hey, I support spaying. I support spaying and neutering just like Trump did to you. Uh, I, I support and spaying and neutering just like Trump did to you. Right. Uh, continuing this conversation, um, this is economics. And this doesn't have anything to do with voting. Or maybe it does. In fact, maybe it's really at the core of it. Because this has to do, I think, with what's going to happen right after the election. We've been watching for four or five months now the worldwide economy cooling down. China's GDP has dropped about 2%. You've got a bunch of countries in Europe that have already started to slide into recession. Russia's in recession. Russia came up with an alternative program to SWIFT. Now, SWIFT is the program, the uh, international banking program that clears international transactions. But they have to be done in dollars for it to work, or euros. And so Russia's come up with an alternative to this program where you can clear things in rubles internationally. And China, they're working with China to, turn, to create this alternative payment system. And to Chuck Miller, who writes the Daily Fennec for the Aiden sisters, the Aiden forecast, he says, uh, I read a report last night that Russia's alternative payment to SWIFT has already gained quite a few users. When trading partners of Russia and eventually China, too, as they will use this alternative payment system, use this system and bypass SWIFT, it means they'll no longer need dollars to settle 
the terms of their trade. These are baby steps to that outcome, folks, but it's happening right before your eyes. Do you see it? And then he writes, and now this. The good news for the U.S. just keeps rolling in. Now, this is he's being sarcastic. I've told you about how central banks around the world have been backing away from their usual allotment of treasuries sold at the auction. Let me back away from Chuck for a moment. This is two things. Number one, the Republicans last year borrowed a trillion and a half dollars. It's a five trillion over 10 years. Last year it was a trillion and a half dollars that they borrowed to give to billionaires. And when the federal government borrows money, the way they borrow that money is they sell treasury bills, treasury bonds and bills into the public market and the international market. And if nobody buys those bills, nobody buys those debt instruments, those IOUs, if nobody gives the federal government the money so that they can hand it over to the billionaires as tax cuts, then the government has to offer higher interest rates to encourage people to buy treasuries. You're following this? I mean, it's very simple stuff, right? Where the government says, here's a trillion dollars worth of bonds that will pay 2.3%. Uh, and the world says, you know, we're not interested in 2.3%. We're not interested in your bonds. We don't need it right now. So the government says, well, how about 2.4%? Eh, not yet. How about 2.5%? Okay, we'll take 2.5%. So that's how it works, right? So back to Chuck. He says, I've told you all, all about how central banks around the world have been backing away from their usual allotment of treasuries sold at auction. Well, yesterday we got the second worst bid to cover in nine years of the auction of short-term treasuries. In other words, this goes back to the, to the tail end of the recession. We borrowed another trillion dollars that was in 2009 or 2010 to fund the Recovery Act to give money to billionaires and banks to bring the economy back. And he says, well, yesterday we had the second worst bid to cover in nine years. Wait, what? Yes, the auction did not go off smoothly. He said, we've seen the yields rise, right? I mean, we're at 11-year highs on short rates, and the stock market is teetering. And all that isn't enough to attract more buyers at the auction? Uh-oh. And his point here is that people want to invest their money. They want to make money with money. But they're not putting their money in the stock market right now because it's teetering, and they're not putting it in bonds. What the heck does that mean? That's a huge bad sign. So he says, apparently yields are going to have to rise much more. And we all know what that does to bond servicing costs. In other words, as yields rise, then the federal government has to pay more money. And we're on course right now to be spending more on just paying interest on the national debt than we pay to the Pentagon. He says, this is scary to me, folks, and should be to you. And I'm not the boy who cried wolf. This is actually happening. And I absolutely agree with Chuck Miller. The Republican irresponsibility that we saw during the Bush administration and during the Trump administration, where Bush put two wars on the national credit card without paying for them and a trillion dollar tax cut on the national credit card without paying for it. That and Republican deregulation of the banking system brought about the great crash in 2008. And then Obama had to borrow another trillion dollars to get us out of that crash. You know, we can still argue about how that should have been done, whether the money should have gone to people or whether it should have gone to banks and billionaires. But it went to banks and billionaires. That's what it took to get Republicans in Congress to go along with something that would save the republic. So that's what they did. And here we are. And when the bottom starts to fall out in a way that's visible, because it's visible right now to a lot of us, the bottom is falling out. And it's going to become really obvious in the next four or five months. And when it does, guess what Donald Trump and the Republicans are going to say? It's because the Democrats just took the House and maybe the Senate. That's what they're going to say. We've got to get ready for that. Republicans say, oh, yeah, Trump brought us this giant surge in the economy, and isn't that wonderful? And my answer is the same answer that I gave back in, in the 80s when Reagan did the same thing is, you know, yeah, give me a trillion dollar credit card and I'll, I'll show you what it looks like to live large. But the bill's going to come due someday. 
And I don't mean that in the context of some you know, Republican debt fear-mongering hysteria. The reality is that the Republican two Santa Claus theory, they're trying to run up the debt so much that the Democrats are going to have to say, okay, we go along. We say, uncle, yes, cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid to pay for that interest on the debt, to pay down the debt so we don't have to pay so much interest. That's the Republican game plan. That's what they're betting on. They are betting with the future of this country and the economy and the people who get hurt are not the billionaires. They make money whether the market goes up or down. It's going to be average working people all across this country. They're going to get wiped out because of this Republican irresponsibility, which they will blame on the Democrats. This is the Tom Hartman program. So get ready. Glenn in Vancouver, Washington. Hey, Glenn, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind? My question is, if everything goes as predicted and we win the House, but not the Senate, then aren't we starting to Paul? Because anything we pass will be appealed or not taken up by the Supreme Court. Is there a possibility that if we finally win the Senate, that we can do an end run around the Supreme Court by passing laws that are not reviewable by the Supreme Court? Yeah, it's technically possible, and it has been done in the past. Article 3, Section 2 says that the Supreme Court shall operate under regulations and and exceptions defined by Congress. And Congress has passed legislation in the past. Phyllis Schlafly and I talked about this many times on the air before she died, that explicitly says this legislation is not subject to review by the Supreme Court. You can simply write that into a bill. But it's always been a very non-controversial thing. The last time was back in the 80s with a farm bill that Tom Daschle was putting forward. Maybe it was the 90s, but it was Tom Daschle when he was Senate Majority Leader when the Democrats controlled the Senate. But it was just a farm bill. So, yeah, that's possible. But the reality is that if we don't take the Senate, no legislation is going to pass because anything that comes out of the House will get stopped in the Senate. And, and if we, even if we take the Senate... Unless you can get two-thirds in both houses to override a presidential veto, the White House is still in Republican hands and Trump will veto things that we do. But we can define a legislative agenda. The important thing here, I think, Glenn, is that, we talked with Tom Perez about this, the idea that we could have a, quote, do-nothing Congress, that is, you know, gridlock. We'll pass things in the House that the Senate won't take up. The Senate will pass things that the House won't take up, and so nothing happens. And that's what happened in 46 and 47. Actually, it was the election of 46, 47 and 48, when Harry Truman was president, and the Republicans took the House for two years. That's exactly what happened. And Truman campaigned against them, against the do-nothing Congress, is what he called it, and won re-election or won his you know, actual first election, but won, won his uh, continuation of his presidency in the election of 1948. We're concerned about that. But on the other hand, I think that 1994 is actually more instructive. In 1994, this was a midterm election, two years into Bill Clinton's presidency, and the House and Senate were both controlled by Democrats. Republicans control, won control of the House. This was Newt Gingrich's contract on America. And the result of that was that they started using their subpoena power to investigate the president. And over a four-year period, that led directly to the impeachment of Bill Clinton and over a BJ. And this time, I mean, we've got real serious actual stuff. So I think that, you know, I'm not so worried about the 1946 scenario. I'm not as worried about that as I am hopeful that what we're seeing is a reverse play of 1994. Glenn, thanks for the call. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, 
marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom to learn more. Just had a uh, fascinating call from Glenn, a caller in Vancouver, talking about how things will probably play out if we take the House but not the Senate. And there are a couple of historical analogies, two big ones. In the election of 46, which would have been Harry Truman's first midterm election, so it's kind of analogous to right now with Donald Trump, the Democrats controlled the House and Senate, the Republicans took the House, Everything the Republicans passed, the, the democratically controlled Senate refused to go along with. Everything the democratically controlled Senate passed, the Republican-controlled House refused to go along with. And basically nothing happened for two years. And Truman ran for re-election in 48 on the, quote, do-nothing Congress. That was 90% of his campaign strategy, and he won re-election. So you can imagine Donald Trump doing the exact same thing. I think that that's very real, and that's probably going to be a major component of this. But on the other hand, if you look at 1994, which was the first midterm election, Bill Clinton was elected in 92. 94 was the first midterm election, just like this is the first midterm election for Trump, just like that was the first midterm election for Truman. Before the election, the Democrats controlled both the House and the Senate. They took the House. This was Newt Gingrich's contract on America. It was a brilliant marketing strategy that was used all across the country, even though it was a scam. It's a 10-point item, five or six of them, that just pointed to one single piece of legislation that was a tax cut for millionaires and billionaires. And he said it would do this and this and this and this and this. He ran the scam, but people bought it. The Republicans took control of the House. And yeah, you had that kind of gridlock, again, with a Republican House and Democratic Senate. But what was really consequential about that election was that once the Republicans took control of the committees so that they could hold hearings and use the subpoena, they began their investigations into Bill Clinton's Whitewater land deal where he lost $35,000 back before he was governor of Arkansas. And then that went to the Rose Law Firm, and then that went to the Travelgate, and then that went to Kathleen Willey, and then that led them to Monica Lewinsky, and boom, they could impeach the president for a BJ. And now we've got more than just Donald Trump chasing attractive young women around the White House. We have clear evidence that he enthusiastically colluded with a foreign government to help make him president. We have clear evidence that his businesses have been basically criminal enterprises for at least 20, 25 years. We have clear evidence that he is violating the Constitution's emolument clause. We have clear evidence that he has stocked his administration with some of the most corrupt officials in the history of the United States. Teapot Dome scandal that almost brought down the Coolidge administration back in the 1920s was because Albert Fall, the Secretary of the Navy, had financial interest in a gas drilling operation at Teapot Dome out in Wyoming. 
Actually, the entire administration was brought to its knees because one guy in the cabinet, the Secretary of the Navy, I'm not even sure who's in the cabinet, you know, but one, one guy was taking a bribe, in quotes. Well, Trump has done far worse than that. And Pruitt and Walker and all these guys in his administration, they've done far worse than that. So once the Democrats get the subpoena, look out! You're listening to Tom Hartman. On the line with us is Joe Madison, host of The Joe Madison Show, weekdays 6 to 10 a.m. on Sirius XM Channel 126, civil and human rights activist. His website, joemadison.com. You can tweet him at MadisonSiriusXM. Joe, welcome back to the program. Glad to talk with you again, Tom. It's been a while, my goodness. It has been. I hope we can talk more often on the air. You just brought the house down at the Apollo Theater the other day. You and I have been talking about this. Well, you've been talking about this on your show forever, the the idea of a movement versus a moment and millennials. And before you go off on that, I just wanted to set up one other thing for you and see if this comports with your experience. You know, back in 1980, those of us who remember when, you know, we're little kids, when Jack Kennedy became president, Kennedy had this national fitness program and he pushed it out to all the schools. And the way that he did this, the federal government can't order schools what to do and say and what not to do and say, but there are or there were federal standards for education. They were guidelines, but they weren't requirements. And Kennedy created a new guideline that was a physical fitness one, and it pushed out to every school in the country. And so we were doing jumping jacks in my school and all the Air Force exercises. And also among those was civics, right? Civics education, understanding how government works and the importance of the vote and all that. So when Reagan comes in in 1980, he puts in charge of the education department, which comes up with these standards, Bill Bennett. This is his secretary of education, Bill Bennett, who had campaigned on a platform of ending the Department of Education and had this to say just after the Reagan presidency. But I I do know that it's true that if you wanted to reduce crime, you could, if that were your sole purpose, you could abort every black baby in this country and your crime rate would go down. That would be an impossible, ridiculous, and morally reprehensible thing to do. But your crime rate would go down. So that was Bill Bennett. And so what did he do? He blew up the national standards for education, took civics and government history out of them. And we've got a generation of kids who in many schools, not all schools, but in many schools in America, literally can't name the three branches of government. So, you know, we've got a big lift here, Joe, and I just threw a bunch of stuff at you. It's all yours. Go for it. (laughs) Well, I mean, my God, to, to be reminded of what Bill Bennett just said, I mean, it's right out of the 19... 30, 40 playbook of uh, Nazi Germany. Yep. Uh, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I mean, it just sent chills down my spine. I mean, I guess if I wanted to play that, and as it relates to uh, what he said, I mean, maybe if we aborted some white people, uh, we wouldn't have had folks going into a synagogue and shooting elderly people or shooting elderly black people in the back of their head or in, in a Kroger parking lot or blowing up uh, an office building in Oklahoma. I mean, it's absurd. The yeah. point I made, and, and let me give you something in your audience, something to look for. And I've been talking about this for years on my show. It's called the Willie Lynch letter. A Willie Lynch letter on how to make a slave. Now, reality, it's not a real letter, but it talks about the psychology of how to separate and have gang counter gang strategy, separate slaves 
and get them fighting each other. The old against the young, the men against the women, the light skin against the dark skin. And so there was a discussion about, you know, baby boomers versus millennials. And I said, wait a minute, let's stop. Let's go back to the presidential election. Folks 50 years and older, 60 million of them went to vote. 60 million. And the lowest voter turnout was among millennials. Now, my point was, it doesn't make the Trumpets any difference whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial. The reality is they're, they're screwing over both of us. You know, grandma, baby boomer, grandma needs Medicare. Working mothers with young children that are out here struggling every day trying to make ends meet economically, they need Medicaid for their children. Young folk, they need college tuition, loans, the fact that the financial institutions are getting a are are charging far more interest for their college loans than they should. The reality was they're coming after both of us. But the one thing I wanted millennials to understand, recognize that baby boomers bled for that right to vote. You know, I heard John Lewis say something that would have fit perfectly with what I said at the Apollo last Thursday. And that is, he bled on that bridge, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, for the right to vote. He almost lost his life. And he said to his audience over the weekend, I'm not asking you to bleed. I'm asking you to vote. And I wanted young people to understand that it's it's not about going to a rally, getting back in your car, going back home, or going back to the class. You know, those are moments. We have to have a movement. And the difference between a moment and a movement is sacrifice. All movements require sacrifice. And that's what John Lewis was talking about. That's what Oprah was talking about. And that's why people reacted last uh, Thursday at the Apollo, because they understood that. And so I've just simply made the point that, look here, millennials, if you can stand in line to get the latest Apple or to get a pair of the latest athletic shoes, then you darn well can get your behind in line to vote. And that's the point I was trying to make, that we should not be talking about millennials versus baby boomers whose turn it is, that type of thing. Because let's understand what happened in the last presidential election. Well, if Hillary doesn't win the primary, I'm not going to vote. If Bernie doesn't win, I'm not going to vote. The reason we have Donald Trump today is not that the majority of people voted for him, but a vast majority of people didn't go vote at all. And if you get 60 million of baby boomers and you join them with the potential huge number of millennials, we win. We win big. Amen. 
I've been trying to figure out why it is that millennials don't vote. And I don't have any statistical information to compare this generation of millennials with, for example, what would have been the equivalent generation 30 years ago, 40 years ago, with what we call baby boomers, when they first got the right to vote. Although that was, it was uh, I think, 20 when the voting age went down to 19. And it was a big deal and everybody was paying attention, passed a constitutional amendment. But do you think that it's cultural? Is it media? Or is it the conspiracy theory that I floated when you first came on that it took a decade or so for those guidelines changing to work their way through the system? And now you've got, particularly in red states, places where they just don't teach government at all. I, you know, I, I don't know. It's probably all of the above. It's probably culture. You know, you don't know what was happening on your show, but I can tell you that we were tagged I don't know by who, but folks are calling, oh, voting doesn't count. Voting doesn't make any difference. Oh, yeah, I'm getting those. It's a campaign from the Republicans. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And primarily, let's be honest, it came from the uh, Russians, you know, out there trolling. Yep. uh, uh, Particularly African-American shows. I know we got hit and all of a sudden it stopped after the election. But uh, you know what? It, It is really sad. When you think about it, because the, the, the thing about what I'm trying to get people to understand, whoever is in the majority is the one that can control the hearings, is the one that can move the legislation. And that's really what we are talking about. And, and so, uh, so it is, I don't know about you, I think, you know, when I went to school in Ohio, you could not get a, 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 a high school diploma unless you passed civics. Yep. Yep, same in now, Michigan. That was a fact. You you could you could be a look. You could no be longer the case a, though. Yeah, you could be a straight A student, and if you failed civics, you better take your butt to summer school <laughs> and get that and pass civics because you could not get a diploma. Yeah, yeah. And, we, and quite honestly, that's the way it should be today. Yeah, I agree. We need to bring this stuff back. Joe Madison, the great Joe Madison, the website joemadison.com. You can listen to him on SiriusXM weekdays every morning, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM channel 126. You can tweet him at Madison SiriusXM. Joe, give our love to Sherry, and it's great to hear from you. Thanks so much for being on the program today. God bless. Same to Louise. Thank you. Thank you. Good talking with you, Joe. I've never endorsed a weight loss product, but that was before my brilliant wife, Louise, had such a great experience with Ridgizone. So good that she shared it with my producer, Sean. Sean, in your own words, talk about what you love most about Ridgizone. I've been frustrated for years, struggling with yo-yo dieting. I was really excited when I saw the results Louise had with Ridgizone. She looks amazing. I also like the fact that Ridgizone is based on university research that found a molecule that eases appetite and cravings so you eat less. Plus, Ridgizone is an FDA-accepted product designed to boost levels of that molecule along with your metabolism so you stop craving the wrong foods and burn calories faster. I'm excited to get my appetite and cravings under control so I can lose weight before the holidays. Stay tuned. Amen. Thanks, Sean. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Ridgizone. While supplies last, use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off plus free shipping. Go to tryriduzone.com. That's tryriduzone.com. Tryriduzone.com. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. Uh, Luke Vargas, the chief foreign correspondent for Talk Media News, joins us. Uh, Hey, Luke, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much. 
I was talking yesterday to Matthew Baum, who's over at the Kennedy School and studies political communications and also is a sort of foreign policy wonk. And he was, you know, he told me about this term called intermestic, basically international domestic issues, and saying that a few of the ones that are covered in this election most by President Trump fit sort of neatly in that borderline. Immigration, trade, uh, both of those are really depending on how you want to spin it, international issues, but that a domestic political operator can co-opt them and use them as purely domestic uh, campaign messaging. And I think Trump has done that. He's taken, let's say, this migrant caravan, which could well be talked about if you are, you know, over at the United Nations as an international humanitarian issue, one where we should be, let's say, channeling our focus into building our relationship with the Mexican government so that they can enforce immigration and asylum law and things like that. Or we spin it and make it all about crime and drugs and the fear of other people, you know, coming into the United States. The same with trade. You know, this is not being talked about in terms of negotiations or competitive advantage. It's being talked about, you know, sort of let's let's, you know, force project, right? Let's let's mm. assert American respect around the world. And it's, you know, midterm elections typically are not referendums on foreign policy, even less so than presidential elections, which occasionally get into topics like yay or nay on nation building overseas. But this is a particularly interesting election where Trump has really framed all of these sort of borderline intermestic issues as domestic ones. Um, the one we haven't heard about, which I think is quite telling given Trump's populist sort of strongman streak here is the war on terrorism. Remember, he campaigned on saying, hey, I'm going to defeat the Islamic State staff. And you know, President Obama has been sitting on his hands on this. I'm going to win this war. Of course, we did have some sort of chest thumping and, you know, mission accomplished talk from the president on the war on terrorism several months ago. But I think it's telling that, uh, you know, given that sort of trait of populist leaders, that they always are sort of portraying a perpetual crisis, right? The only thing standing between us and ruin is me, right? right. Uh, that Trump has, is not emphasizing, hey, you know, we dealt with ISIS. Uh, instead, it's, hey, you know, you're going to need me to protect you from all these new threats. And if there is going to be right. admission of victory against the Islamic State, that's got to come until after the election. You know so, who's doing the exact same thing, Luke? Victor Orban in Hungary, uh, Duterte yeah. in the Philippines, uh, mm -hmm. Erdogan in Turkey. I mean, these guys are literally playing the same playbook. And it's scary as hell to me that the president of the United States is doing this. Uh, I think for the first time in our history, I, you know, this, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the XYZ affair during the uh, uh, yeah. John Adams presidency, when John Adams tried to play this card with regard to the French, uh, and it blew up in his face, by the way. Um, but uh, that, to the best of my knowledge, that's the last time this kind of, this kind of game got played. I don't think it is, and I don't think it's the last time Trump will keep playing it. The, again, this sense of sort of perpetual enemies abroad that need Trump to stand in the way to prevent them from taking over, yeah. I think, is a, a theme he's going to keep hitting. I know we've just got a minute left. Let me just highlight that um, uh, the daughter of the president, Ivanka Trump, it's been announced now, this is via sources in China, that apparently this decision was made last month, has won 16 new patents, or trademarks, rather, for her fashion brand, which she said she was shutting down and uh, disaffiliating. And one for a July. voting machine, by the way. Yes, a voting 
<laughs> I don't even know how to explain this. Some for voting machines, nursing homes, and sausage casings, as in addition to shoes, wedding dresses, and jewelry. Uh, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington crew has a great report on this, saying this is very concerning. This business can be resurrected as soon as she uh, exits the administration and now is in meetings with foreign leaders, possibly sort of playing her building up her deck for some time in the future. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Luke Vargas, you can follow Luke on Twitter at The Courier. Luke, thanks a lot. Thank you, Tom. Talk to you soon. Always great talking with you, Luke. I really appreciate your reports. On the line with us, the former governor of the state of Virginia, the former chair of the Democratic Party, the DNC, and author of the memoir, What a Party, My Life Among Democrats, is Terry McAuliffe. Governor McAuliffe, welcome back to the program. It's been a while since you've been on. It's great to be back with you, buddy. So tell us about this. You're pitching the website out there now, right, and getting people out to vote. Listen, there's nothing more important. I tell you, I've said this for many years. This is the most important election of all time, but you know, with the House of Representatives right within our graphs to have a check and balance on the Trump administration. But I'm also very excited about Tom and the governor's races. We're going to win anywhere from six to ten governors, which is so important for 2021 redistricting. And that will determine how our party is over the course of the next ten years. And I tell everybody, you got to get out to vote. Your vote does matter. Last year in Virginia, as you know, we had historic elections. We won 15 House of Delegate elections, most since 1880. But one seat for control of the chamber, it was a tie. Out of 20 votes cast, it was dead even. The winner was picked out of a bowl. And unfortunately, a Republican name was picked out of the bowl. Hmm. I'm just telling you, don't anyone tell you your vote doesn't matter. Wow. That's an amazing story. So the website, whenweallvote.org, was this uh, Michelle Obama's idea? Yes, it was. And I think it's a great idea. And just what she's trying to implore on people is that in the 2016 election, 92 million Americans who had the right to vote did not exercise that right to vote. And as you know, Hillary Clinton lost three states, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, by a combined total of 77,000 votes. And yet 92 million people did not vote and many of them woke up the next day and said, holy cow, how did Trump get elected? Yeah. It happened because people didn't vote. Well, it, it also happened because people can't vote. I mean, you know, we saw this in 2000 when George Bush's brother Jeb had Catherine Harris use the yep. Texas felon list to throw 60,000 African-Americans off the voting rolls to get close enough that the Supreme Court could make him president. That was election fraud. That kind of voter suppression is naked election fraud. And I don't recall the Democratic Party talking about that, which made me crazy at the time and still does. And it's continuing in Florida. You know, Greg Palast just sued for the purge list that they conducted down there. This is Georgia. Just sued for the names. Right. And not only that, he found that there's, I think, 300,000 of those. He actually paid a direct marketing company that maintains mailing lists for like catalog companies and said, here's the list. Here's this almost half a million list of people who've been purged from Georgia's roles in the last year. How many of these are actually still living where they're supposed to be living? And the company came back with an exact number. It was like 341,121 people. I'm doing that from memory, but I think it's right. In other words, those people, they're going to 
going to go to the polls. They're going to be told, well, I don't see on the poll list, but here's a provisional ballot, which will never be counted. And they're going to think they voted. I mean, we have been seeing this since 2000 with the redshift numbers where the exit pollsters are saying, oh, yeah, the Democrat won this state. The Democrat won that state. The Democrat won this. And the outcome from the voting machines. And we for a while, we thought it was electronic voting machines doing it. It's obviously it's been voter suppression all these years. The outcome would say, no, I'm sorry, the Republican won. When is the Democratic Party going to wake up and take this on? Can you imagine if Democrats had been throwing white suburban voters off the voting rolls in democratically controlled states? The Republican Party would be out there. You would have Cliven Bundy leading, you know, an armed group down the street in those states. Tom, you are giving my speech. I do this every single day. As governor, I got rid of the OptiScan voting machines because they were corruptible. I had actually had hackers come in. They were able to get into my machine within six minutes. So we got rid of all those, so you now have to use a paper ballot. But you are right. This goes on across the country. As governor, I vetoed a bill that came to my desk that in order to get an absentee ballot in Virginia, you have to fax in your driver's license. Now, I don't know, Tom, if you've got a fax machine at home, no. but most people don't, yep. and a lot don't have driver's license. Now, I veto that, but if I weren't governor, that would be the law of the land in Virginia today. This is why I tell you these governors' races are so important. We're down to 16 Democratic governors in America. They have consistently purged lists. They try to shut down early vote. They try to take polling stations away from African-American communities. You look what happened in 2010, Wisconsin legislature. The Republicans pick up both chambers. What do they do? 300,000 people. They put a new voter ID law on. 300,000 people were disenfranchised in Wisconsin, who voted for President Obama in 12, went back for Hillary in 16, could not vote because of a new voter ID law, and she lost the state by 22,000. And on top of that, and on top of that, Scott Walker purged almost 200,000 people from the voting lists in the year before that election, in 2016. This is what they're doing. That is why I'm telling people who are listening to your show, you've got to get out there. we got to win. Now, listen, we're right now, Tom, I can tell you we're winning Michigan. The governors, pickups, Michigan, right. Maine, Illinois, Wisconsin, Nevada, New Mexico, Florida, Iowa. We're competitive that even in Georgia, South Dakota, Ohio. This is where the purges have gone on. If we can get a Democratic governor, as I say, we're down to 16 we can stop this, and then for redistricting in 2021. You know, why are we having such a problem? Because Trump is such a failure, and his fear and division and hatred are defining his presidency. Why aren't we winning 150 seats? Because in 2011, they drew lines across America, the Republican majorities with the governors, and put us into a permanent minority. Yeah, through the redistricting. Yeah, gerrymandering. I get that, but I have not heard you yet answer my question, basically, Governor, which was, when is the Democratic Party going to make this an issue and explicitly call the Republicans out for election fraud? I mean, they've been using the word voter fraud for years, and we know that that's BS. This is actual demonstrable election fraud. When is the Democratic Party, A, going to start kicking ass on this, and B, offering a solution? I would think that obvious solution is either a constitutional amendment or a law through Congress that says that there is an absolute right to vote, something like on a variation on restoring the Voting Rights Act. And when we get the Congress back, it's exactly what we need to do. And I'm going to brief all the new governors when they get elected, because a lot of this, as you know, is state law. Yeah. And the states run the elections in their states and say, this is the things that you have to do to go forward. There ought to be no excuse absentee ballot. 
If you want to vote early, you ought to go vote early, Tom. Sure. Why should you have to sign a form like you do in Virginia today under penalty of perjury? It should be out of state and all these things you have to go through. But you're right. These are the things we need to do. But people have been raising this issue. This is something, you know, I've restored more felon rights than any governor in American history. <laughs> we got to enfranchise people. we got to protect them. But the governors are the ones who do it in their states because they run elections in the states. Yeah, okay. The website is whenweallvote.org. And this was uh, Governor Terry McCall, former governor of Virginia, former head of the DNC, and uh, author of the memoir, What a Party. Governor, thanks a lot for dropping by. Um, thank you. Get everybody out. Yeah, I'm in. We're working on All it. Right, thank, you. thank you. Good talking with you. Imagine the panic that swept over this dad. He was working late when he got an alert on his smartphone. His Blink motion-activated security camera picked up something. He opens the Blink app and views a video clip of a man peering through his kitchen window. He calls 911 and alerts his wife. Preventing situations like this is what Blink is all about. The point of having a home security system is to help alert you before some creep breaks into your home, not after. Blink motion-activated HD cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on batteries that last up to two years. And Blink's live feed option lets you monitor what's happening at home anytime, anywhere from your smartphone. No contracts, no subscriptions, and Blink even works with Alexa. Here's the deal. Get your Blink camera system starting at less than $100. No contracts or subscriptions. Visit BlinkProtect.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, for details. BlinkProtect.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. BlinkProtect.com slash Tom. Blink is an Amazon company. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Barry, watching Free Speech TV in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, Barry, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Okay, you've been talking a lot about the Republicans using fear tactics to get um, people to vote Republican, like those dark people from Honduras and Guatemala coming in, they're going to spread disease. And yeah, it's not just fear, it's always know. racialized fear, and it has been since the 60s with Nixon. I think the Democrats should counterattack with fear tactics of our own, such as these white nationalist Republicans are coming to take your health care, they're coming to take your vote. They're coming to take your Social Security. They're coming to destroy your planet. Well, those are actually legitimate concerns, Barry. I mean, the Republicans are actually trying to do those things. The, de the Democrats yeah, are not trying to open the borders. You know, it's like it's, I, it's a complete lie. Right. Well, that's exactly my point. While the Republicans use fear tactics based on lies, we can use our fear tactics based on the truth. Yeah. Yeah, now, I'm with you. And these things do need to be emphasized. And this is why I was you know, beating up Terry McAuliffe. It's like the Democratic Party needs to start taking names and kicking ass. This is a great place to start. Uh, Barry, thanks for the call. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, Rick Perry accidentally told the truth that the uh, Trump administration, right after the elections, intends to move forward on dumping radioactive waste at Yucca Mountain in Nevada. This is causing no shortage of problems for Dean Heller, the Republican senator who's running against Democrat Jackie Rosen. It's about 50-50 right now. Nevada, of course, is, is very opposed to being the entire nation's toxic nuclear waste dump site. But Rick Perry, last Friday, it just was reported uh, today or yesterday, uh, Rick Perry came out and said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, they got, they've got a serious problem. And we've been talking also about uh, the pharmaceuticals now. The, uh, the blood pressure medications are contaminated by rocket fuel They're made in, that causes cancer. They're made in China. 
and imported into the United States by the pharmaceutical companies. 80% of our drugs now are made in China or India. And yet the Republicans tell us that they have to keep on the books a law that says that you can't, you know, if your pharmacy says, oh yeah, that, that drug you've been taking, price just tripled in the last two years, tough luck. And you could buy it from a pharmacy in Mexico or in Canada or in the UK or in France for a fraction of the price. I mean, literally, in some cases, one-tenth the price. It's the exact same drug, or in many cases, it's actually the same drug manufactured in, in Europe instead of in China. The Republicans tell us we can't do that. We can't buy our drugs cheaper from a pharmacy online in Canada or in England because it might not be safe. And now we're discovering that this whole family of drugs, these angiotensin II blockers, Angiotensin is a hormone you produce that increases your blood pressure. And so by blocking it, it downregulates your blood pressure. That this family of drugs are contaminated with this rocket fuel that causes cancer in China. And then they ship them into the United States where they're delivered to us in our pharmacies. Yeah, I'm particularly flipped out about this because I take this family of drugs. But the big point here is that China has A, no consumer protection laws, no product liability laws. And B, they make 80% of our drugs named Woodcock was quoted in this article from NBC News as saying, if we are ever in an international incident with China, they would literally have their hands around our necks in terms of critical drugs. They wouldn't even have to fire a shot. They make 80% of our drugs. Gibson, another consultant, said China made this strategic decision to develop its pharmaceutical industry and has succeeded undercutting prices and grabbing market share. Penicillin's a good example. You can't buy penicillin from anywhere except China now. Because, well, this is a quote, we don't make penicillin ingredients even in this country anymore. That happened because the Chinese companies came in, dumped it on the global market at a very low price, and now they are the largest producer of penicillin industrial ingredients in the whole world. And they add, if you think this is bad, wait until we get into a serious conflict with China. Hospitals have become centers of chaos and death. We're not talking about expensive designer drugs not being available here. We're talking about penicillin. We're talking about basic antibiotics. We're talking about anesthetics. And this person said, you literally would not be able to do surgery in American hospitals. You wouldn't have the anesthesia. You couldn't provide dialysis. You wouldn't be able to provide the antibiotics necessary. It's insane. But the Republicans say, we're going to give more passes on the Buy America Act for even the U.S. military to buy drugs from China. Brad in Elk Grove Village, uh, Illinois. Hey, Brad, what's up? Two things. Uh, the first is Donald Trump keeps talking about the press give me, giving him negative publicity. Um, the press needs to fire back with uh, both barrels and basically say, Mr. Trump, you are a negative, uh, malicious a vindictive person. They're, they're already doing that, Brad, and right. it feeds him, and it feeds his supporters. I think what the press needs to do is stop reporting on him. They need to have, you know, their, their, a little one or two minute update in their, in their newscast every hour on the cable networks and every night on TV that's like, well, here's the lies that came out of well, Donald Trump today. Um, and, know, then, and then for the newspapers, take him off the front page and put a little box on the page with the comics and the, and the horoscopes. This is George Lakoff's suggestion. Put a little page on the page, uh, a little box that says, you know, here's what Trump did today. 
and just just relegate it to the background. It, it, Justin Frank, the guy who wrote uh, Bush on the Couch, was on the program in the first hour today, and he said if the newspapers and the and the t- radio and TV would do that, Trump would go nuts. He would have a, a psychological meltdown, and and he would become far less effective at what he is doing as a consequence of it. The other part is that I think um, with regard to all of the fear mongering and stuff like that, fear and uh, hyperbo- uh, fear and hyperbolic lying are the tools of uh, totalitarians to deceive and because they're going to take away everyone's freedom, not just I mean, it's not the white people are going to be constricted if Trump takes over because if you don't adopt to a certain kind of whiteness, you're going to be you're going to be the one kept kept uh, in 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 the dock house. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Brad. I mean, this is how authoritarianism works. It's how it's worked in every country. It's been tried and it's how it will work here if Trump succeeds. If the Democrats don't take the House and ideally the Senate as well in this election, this may be the last serious free election in the United States. I don't think that's an exaggeration. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. Call 202-808-9925. We're going to check in with uh, Angela Baca, our pot expert, right after the break and find out what the state of that is. You know, you can relax, right? Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you on the line. This is the vice chair of the DNC, Michael Blake. He is also a New York State assemblyman from District 79 in New York State. Democrats.org is the website, and you can tweet him at Mr. Mr. Mike Blake. Mike, Michael Blake, welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Thank you. So uh, what's the news? We feel good. I mean, I was with President Obama for close to seven years. I was in Iowa for 08. I was in the general election 08. I was in 12. What I've seen across the country not just today, uh, where I'm in Illinois right now, before I fly back home to New York, I was campaigning with Lauren Underwood, who is a very confident to be elected to Congress. We were in Milwaukee yesterday, um, campaigning for Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes. Early voting has just been historic turnout everywhere. We feel very confident that not only we're going to get the House back, uh, I feel very confident about the Senate. I feel there's going to be a lot of flips when it comes to governor races, state legislative races, because people are really clear that they're ready to vote for something, not just against something. Yeah. We now know that 340,123 people, or 132 people, I guess it is, in the state of Georgia were removed from the voting rolls by Brian Kemp in the last year, who still live in the state, who have not moved. This has been confirmed through a federal lawsuit and through one of the nation's top direct marketing companies that looked at the list after Brian Kemp had to give it up in that lawsuit from BBC reporter Greg Pallast. So those people, they don't even know they've been purged. They're going to show up at the polls and be given a provisional ballot. And the guy who decides whether provisional ballots are counted is, guess who? Brian Kemp. What do we do about this? Well, we've got to win and make sure Stacey wins. Right. I mean, uh, we, obviously, we've got to turn out today. more than 400,000 additional people. You know, yeah, I'm and, totally and, with you on that. And, but, you know, and, I mean, there should be hell to pay. The Supreme Court last year or this year said that Ohio is doing the same thing. Said it's just fine, Ohio. Keep doing it. And now you've got 12 Republican states that are aggressively doing this and 20 that are looking at it. So I think there's multiple pieces to this. So, one, we are ready everywhere when it comes to voter protection and clarifying questions for people that are going around the country. So if and when you show up and if you have any questions, you can do two different things, or three different things, rather. IWillVote.com is a website we created so that you can find out exactly where to go vote and what information you need when you go vote. 
If you have questions, you can text the word question to 43367. Again, text the word question to 43367 or call 833-336-8683. Again, 833-336-8683. We were prepared for that. But equally, Tom, what we got to tell folks is we have to overperform with our turnout yeah. because of the absolute discriminatory policies that are happening. You know, I was in Ohio a few weeks ago campaigning with Kathleen Clyde, who's running for Secretary of State, Robertson for Treasurer. You know, about a million people being taken off the list in Ohio. Just it is unconscionable what the Republicans are doing, yeah. and, and it is absolutely apparent that we have to overperform but also be protecting with lawyers who are standing ready across the country. Yeah. Over at Daily Coast, they're reporting in Detroit, early voters returned away due to missing voting machines. No idea if those voters will have a chance to return and vote. In Indiana, the voting machines were not plugged in. There was only one volunteer. In Arizona, three polling places are currently down. The building was foreclosed overnight. In Gwinnett County, three different precincts now have been forced to use paper ballots because their technical problems have shut things down, which is leading to hundreds of voters stuck in line for hours. Elsewhere in Atlanta, quote, hundreds of voters stand in line for hours this morning at the Southwest Atlanta polling place, only three voting machines for thousands of people. And some New York City precincts are suffering from broken scanners and other technical problems. The one thing that's in common with all of these, they're all in minority areas. What the hell is going oh, on no in this country? There's no question about it. Look, I'm on the ballot and we feel confident we'll get reelected as well. But in our district, we had scanners that were down multiple parts throughout the Bronx. They'd immediately send lawyers and teams out to that. There was one site in the northern part of the Bronx where seven out of the eight machines were not working. I mean, it is, again, absurd and ridiculous. There is no coincidence around this. This is a tactical, aggressive approach that is happening of trying to go after people of color across this country. And so the only way that you turn this around is by winning and putting people in these seats for Secretary of State, especially for state legislators, for governor seats, all these different aspects, in order for us to right the wrongs of what we're seeing. You think about in Florida, where we've seen the nonsense over the last few weeks, and what we were very confident about Andrew Gillum and Bill Nelson up and down the ticket. But also, you think about in Florida, we're talking about rights being restored and the opportunity on today. They have an amendment for that 60% of people vote in favor of it. You know, more than one million people that are formerly incarcerated will get their rights restored in Florida. There's an opportunity to change the game, and so we cannot allow the fear that is happening from the Republican side to prevail. Yeah, amen. I can tell you that if 20 democratically controlled states had made it very difficult for white middle and upper middle class voters to vote, through a whole variety of systemic things like, you know, making sure that the crappiest voting machines and the smallest numbers were in their districts, knocking them off the voting rolls because of their last names, all these kind of things that the Republicans would be, they'd be burning down the Capitol building right now. I mean, they would be out in the streets with torches. They would be screaming and yelling to high heaven, and they would be on the nightly news every single night. I sure hope, sir, as number two guy in the Democratic Party, that you can light a fire under your colleagues this not only would be good politics, frankly, and I, you know, I remember back 13 years ago sitting in a meeting with seven Democratic senators where we brought up this issue, a couple of talk show hosts, me and Randy Rhodes and a couple of other people. And we were told explicitly by a Democratic senator speaking on behalf of the group, we're not going to talk about that because it causes people to think that their vote won't be counted. So we don't want to make this a public issue. We're going to try and fight this in the background. And nothing happened. 
and it's been 12, 13 years since I had that conversation with those senators. And, and we just need to torch this thing. I mean, we need to light it on fire, sir. Well, we've been very clear. I'm doing media all day across the country uh, to convey that we're not going to sit silent. We're going to push back. We're going to fight back. And we're going to promote IWillVote.com. But in the midst of winning, it's about standing up and saying we're going to protect people's rights. And it's about turnout. I mean, you know, you've got the Secretary of State in Colorado running for re-election, and he just purged a half a million people off the voting rolls in Colorado. Michael Blake, DNC Vice Chair. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Take care. Dayona, am I saying that right, in Prescott Valley, Arizona? Hey, I just wanted to tell you, I love your show, and I love the service that you're giving to this country. And I found you again on Sirius. I had lost you for a long time. Oh, well, yeah, we're I'm here. Glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're there and doing strong. The reason that I've called is because I live here in Arizona, in Yavapai County, and I was mailed a mail-in ballot. It actually didn't get to me until last Thursday. Then I tried to fill it in, and it was confusing because at the top it said sample ballot. And then down below it said official ballot. And I just didn't feel good about that. So I just, it was too late for me to mail it in anyway. So I took it to the poll this morning and um, I showed it to the poll workers and they didn't know what the heck that was. And, and, and it was, oh, it was official. It sounds like a scam. It's, I, I wonder, are you a registered Democrat, yeah. Diana? I'm afraid to do that here. I'm a progressive Democrat, but I just put independent because I didn't want my rights to be. Somebody sent you this in the hopes that you would fill this out and mail it in and it would never be counted because it's not an actual ballot. And that right. that is a scam. Right, and that's, that's what I'm saying. Contact I'm your local Democratic Party. You may be in possession of evidence of an actual crime here. So please contact your local Democratic Party and let them know what's going on. They'll notify the appropriate authorities. Dan, I got to run. I'm sorry, but thank you for the call. And thanks for listening to us on SiriusXM. Thank you for being with us today. Get out there and vote. Get your friends to vote. Get your neighbors to vote. Tell people you don't even know to vote. Walking into the store, tell people, have you voted? Come on, today we've got to show up. For all year long, I've been saying, you know, democracy is not a spectator sport. This is the day. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.